And how do I say your last name? Vorwald. Vorwald. Uh, just, just like it sounds, a lot of people try to Germanize it, and they'll uh, switch the W and the V, but it's just, just like it says. Perfect. That makes it easy for me then. Here we go, just making sure my mic levels are right here. Today on My Wax Museum, I'm joined by Luke Vorwald. Luke is a fellow podcaster. He has a show called Rules Lawyers, a D&D podcast. We'll play a plug for at the end of this episode. Other than being a podcaster, Luke is, as you'll see, an incredibly caring person. He cares so much about the people in his life. He joins me today via Skype. And remember, after the show, take just five minutes to listen to someone else's story today. You'll be amazed at the stories they have to tell. So, Luke Forwald, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, if, if you like to start out, why don't you share kind of how we know each other? Certainly, yeah. So, um, I think it all started about a week ago or so. Um, I've been toying around with the idea for a bit for a while of throwing the idea out on maybe Reddit, which is what I ended up doing for starting an independent podcast network. Um, I've run a show where we play D and D called the rules lawyers. We've been playing, uh, we've been doing that show for about two years, maybe a little bit more. And I've never really done much with marketing or reaching out maybe a little bit here and there, trading promotional clips, giving people signal boosts, stuff like that, but never really, tried establishing a firm network. And then I thought, you know, I, why not? You know, uh, it's, uh, a lot's kind of gone on in the past two years. I could always make excuses to kind of keep pushing it off, but I figured why not? Let's just go with it. So I threw the idea out on Reddit and I had a decent amount of responses more than I kind of thought I would. Mm -hmm. And I know that you reached out to me, Alex. Um, you're one of the first ones. Yeah. And I, yeah, that first day, I think I had like seven, eight, maybe even nine people kind of reach out. Some people didn't really follow through, which is, you know, totally cool. Um, but yeah. now I think we're sitting at like, what, seven or so shows I, on I, the... I think there are, t uh, oh, maybe maybe seven people, but I have three shows, so that makes true. ten true. shows. Yes, that's a good point, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. and then I, um, I, I threw the name out there for the Little Gray Boy uh, Network. It's kind of like a little through joke with my show, because during the midway breaks... I'm recording uh, nine times out of 10 with my cat, Georgie. He's a little gray uh, male cat. And um, that's what I call him on the show. So I, I thought that'd be kind of a fun little catchy name. And that's kind of how we started chatting about stuff. Unless yeah. you can think of anything else. Yeah, no. And uh, everybody loved the the name Little Gray Boy. And uh, <laughs> uh, Georgie's uh, happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, then... I mean, I'm I'm curious because, of course, I, I jumped on the idea. I was like, yeah, let's do this. I love interacting with people from the podcasting community because it is such a, a unique community mm -hmm. and uh, very open, I find, generally. And um, and so so when you when you put that out there, you said you had been thinking about it for a while. Uh, what was was there any hesitancy uh, in, in you at all? Were you, were you kind of worried if nobody would latch on to it or what would you do? Oh, for sure. No. And I feel like that's probably one of the reasons why I put off 
making any efforts that direction for the years we've been doing the show. I, I was afraid that if I were to maybe kick the idea out there, then people kind of started looking into my show. They're like, oh, well, this guy's pretty amateur hour. You know, like he's got a lot of audio issues with the show. You know, you can tell he's he's inconsistent with when he uploads and, you know, he's not someone that I really want to make connections with. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I just kind of insecurity that way that kind of pushed me away from really making any efforts. And then, you know, uh, life gets in the way and, yeah, we move into a house back in October and I, I switched jobs since we've started this whole thing. So, you know, you keep pushing it off, pushing it off. And then I figure why, you know, I can always think of some reason not to do it. I might as well just give it a shot, see if anybody's interested in taking a bite. And, um, and yeah, I, I'm glad I did. I'm glad that I had put it out there and then I met some awesome people doing some awesome shows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fantastic. And I think we'll dive more into that later on in the conversation. Uh, but for now, let's travel all the way back to the very beginning uh, to when you were born. Where were you born? So I was born um, actually here in Dubuque, Iowa. That's where I currently live um, on 11-11-1991, um, Veterans Day. That's uh uh, the day of my birth, and it was in a hospital here in Dubuque. And yeah, I spent a good amount of my life here in Dubuque. I moved out a few times. I'm sure we'll get to that part of the story. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a there's a small town. It's not even really a town. It's basically just it's kind of just like a part of Dubuque. It's a little section here in Iowa. Uh, it's called Key West. It's basically just Dubuque. People will often think that it's Florida, but it's not. It's just uh, like northern dubuque i think southern dubuque okay. one of the two um we're right along the mississippi and it's in my opinion it's the more pretty part of iowa because it's a lot uh there's more hills and trees as opposed to western uh or eastern nebraska essentially which no, no offense to nebraska but it's not the uh not the ideal state to drive through on a trip i'll say i'll say that i i've never been but now now maybe I never will because of your your glowing review. It's about <laughs> it's about what you can imagine it to be. Again, if people are listening from Nebraska, no offense. It's I feel like they're already aware of the uh the, the landscape issues. It's just not a thrilling 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 landscape. So no, no. So Iowa, okay. Forgive my ignorance. I literally have no idea where Iowa is on a map. Sure. Um, Minnesota is the state to the north, and Missouri, oh man, I'm pretty darn sure it's Missouri to the south. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to feel real bad. I'm pretty sure it's Missouri underneath <laughs> us. I should know okay. that. Like Wisconsin and Illinois are to the to the east. Okay, okay. So I I know where I know where Wisconsin is. Yeah. And I vaguely know where Minnesota is. Okay, so, okay, that gives me an idea. <laughs> That gives me a starting point. So so you lived in Dubuque all your life? Not actually. Actually, no. Um, so uh, we, I lived in Dubuque until I think it was sixth grade. Um, okay. It was, it was my mom, my dad, and my brother. And that's it. Uh, just me and my brother, Tony, were the, uh, the only children of my parents, obviously. And we lived in Dubuque until I was in like sixth grade. And then we moved out to a um, uh, kind of a farm acreage out in Bernard, 
And if you think Dubuque is in the middle of nowhere, we lived legitimately in the middle of the woods outside of a very small farm community uh, called Bernard. Really? Oh, yeah. Like in Bernard, there is like a there's like two streets, three bars, a tiny little school. And I think it's shut down now and like a mechanic shop. And that's all there is in Bernard. That's Uh, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And they used to have a grocery store, but that shut down back in like the 80s. They uh, used to have a gas station, but that also like hasn't been operational for a number of decades now. And in our house was even like a few miles outside of Bernard, basically in the middle of the woods. And there are certain people that say that sounds like, you know, really boring or super far away from stuff. But I actually really, really liked it. We were maybe like 20 minutes away from town and it was like really peaceful and I, I don't know, I love being in the woods and um, just kind of secluded and being able to do what we wanted to do. It was great. Yeah. So, so you moved out to this tiny town of two streets and three bars and mm-hmm. a closed down grocery store. Mm-hmm. And so you, you said there was a school there. Did you go to that school or did you have to go to another no. town over? Yeah, no, I was, um, that school, I believe was just like a middle school. And at that point, um, I don't think they had anybody above like fourth grade or fifth grade or something. And oh, okay. we, yeah. So I went to cascade, which is a little bit bigger than Bernard, but it's still definitely like, if you think of small town USA, it's about as like picturesque of that as you can get. Um, went there from seventh to eighth grade. And then I went to high school there as well. Very small town. Uh, a lot of the small town politics where everybody's all up in everybody else's business. Right. We were kind of, strange because we weren't like a name in that town we weren't born and bred there so right yeah i mean kind of had some issues that way but i got along with you know i got along pretty well i'd say yeah so how long were you in bernard then uh so my dad still lives there um okay when we moved out there my dad he's he still has the farm he built the house um and then he farms on it and also will rent some of the land out to family members who farm on it as well. Uh, there's also a decent amount of timber and woods. Somebody I'd like to hunt. I'm not much of a hunter. I've tried it a few times and I, I don't have the patience for it. Uh, maybe I would now, but when I was younger, I, I didn't. Right. So dad still lives out, to, out there to this day. Um, uh, mom is in here Dubuque. Uh, mom and dad separated back when I was in high school. Okay. And yeah. So, uh, so my mom's in Dubuque here. Dad's still out there. Um, and I moved out when I went to my sophomore year of college. Yeah, I was a sophomore. I, I had my first year at a community college. I stayed living at home. And then I went to the University of Northern Iowa, which is more central Iowa as opposed to eastern Iowa. Right, right. And so so you moved out there to go to college. Yeah. And, and what what were you studying out there? psychology was my uh, oh. major yep and why why psych uh so um uh does it is it okay if i get kind of like personal is that okay oh absolutely get as personal as you like sure yeah i mean i don't don't want to like uh get lost in it or whatever but so when i was um uh when i was younger uh mo- mainly in high school maybe a little before that i was diagnosed with major depression 
there was a few times that I was on like suicide watch. I had to go to the hospital for that a few times when I was a kid. Um, we had some, some issues uh, just with some familial stuff. Um, There's like alcoholism in my family and there was some not ideal things going on in the home life. So um, going through all of that and uh, you know, meeting some of the people that I met, some of the doctors, some of the people in the system, I, at one point for a while, really wanted to be a, a therapist. That was kind of my, um, kind of my dream back when I was like 16, 17 years old. And that's kind of right. what pushed me towards uh, psychology. Okay. And so, so did that, um, that, that family situation, uh, I'm assuming that had a lot to do with the separation of your parents. Yeah. Uh, yep. That, uh, that was definitely one of the major catalysts of the, of the separation. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Now, uh, my parents are divorced and I know, you know, half of everybody I know pretty much their parents are also divorced. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how did, how did that, because of course you, you mentioned your depression, um, was, was the divorce, uh, catalyst of that or did it just enhance it when when it happened um i'd say um the depression was pretty much already there before um uh the separation and you know not splitting hairs or whatever but my mom and dad are actually technically still married which makes it awkward they're just kind yeah. of like long-term separated uh mm. which makes it more difficult than i'd like it to be but um yeah no um back when all that stuff was going down, it was really tough. You know, we were, uh, it was kind of just me and my brother. Uh, like I said, it was, I only had one brother. He's two years younger than me. His name is Tony. He's, uh, you know, he's my best friend, love him to death. Me and him are really tight. We hang out, you know, a decent amount to this day, as much as adult life will allow us. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's great. He's, um, he's a really, really cool dude. I'm really proud of how he, uh, what, what he made of his life and, you know, it was just kind of like me and him against the world and mom and dad, you know, they love us. I, and I love them to this day. I have good relationships with both of them, but things uh, were definitely rocky back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the depression stuff, I think I first went to the hospital uh, for like suicidal uh, thoughts when I was uh, probably like a sophomore in high school. I'm pretty sure. And, and then uh... I think and sophomore is grade 10? Yeah, yeah, it was, okay. yeah, 10. I think I was like, I think I was 15 or 16. And then I went one more time. And I remember I was in the hospital on my 17th birthday. That one, uh, that one sucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. I mean, again, and one thing, if I ever tell people kind of like this story, um, like I, I'm well aware that there's a lot of people who had it way worse than me. You know right. what I mean? Like, you know, it was tough and it was tough for me at the time, but like, I don't know, it wasn't anything just out of the ordinary, I'd say. Um, you know, it was fairly your standard fare for issues that a young teenager might go through, if that right. makes sense. And did, did you see it like that while you were going through it? Or is it only after the fact that you said, you know, that was something I had to go through. That's something a lot of people go through and I'm not alone in that. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I think that I was aware that it could be worse. Obviously, you know, it, 
it could always be worse. Right. Um, I think looking back on it now, I I know that relative uh, relative to my state of mind back then, um, it probably seemed a little bit. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. I mean, it was tough. You know what I mean? Like there was times that really that really sucked, but um, nothing too crazy. I, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a hard one. I feel like I'm I'm sure part of it was just my perspective at the time. Um, right. But I do think looking back on it now that there was some stuff that wasn't all too great. Right. And and I mean, like you said, that's something a lot of a lot of people go through and they mm-hmm. they get through and generally, in my experience, continue to work through as they go through their life. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what has been because you know, I know there are a lot of people who listen to this show and a lot of other guests who have been on this show who have struggled with depression and do struggle with depression. What, what is something what is something that has gotten you through it? What is something that helps you to keep going and keep maintaining kind of a, you know, a, a normal, happy life with a job and with family and hobbies? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, uh, it's important to mention that, I uh, during that time when things were, you know, really rough, uh, I definitely reached out for help. I saw a therapist for a number of years. I also took medication, um, until I thought it was appropriate to kind of wean myself off of that. Uh, but I mean, I was on medication for a number of years too. Um, and that definitely has its place in it and it helped in the appropriate way that it should. The right. things that probably got me through the most was um, obviously, like I mentioned, my brother. He was a he's, he was and is still a huge part of my life. Um, always there for me. Um, always there to kind of you know pull through with the the tough stuff at home. But then I also met my wife. Um, I met her when I was a freshman in high school. We started dating when we were juniors, and we've been pretty much together ever since. She was uh, huge in me getting over. Um, a lot of my depression. Uh, hmm. uh, not, but not only that, I also, you know, hanging out with friends. Music was another thing that got me through. Um, really? I, yep. I play music. I, I play guitar and, and bass and, and I sing and stuff. And I've been a part of like a few like small garagey type bands. And right. nowadays I kind of just play for myself. But um, music was a big thing. Um, also like reading. I like books an awful lot. Uh, and then yeah. uh, just general. Yeah, generally being outside, <laughs> uh, just kind of trying to push on and like choosing happiness the best I can. You know what I mean? Right. So, I mean, um, you know, uh, how because, I mean, you talk about all these all these good things. Is that is is doing those good things, having the good relationship with your wife, uh, having uh, the good relationship with your brother and reading books and getting outside and spending time doing all these good things. Is that how you choose happiness? I'd say so. Yeah. Mm. That, yeah. That's kind of an interesting um, concept to to consider is that, you know, happiness is a choice in the way that you choose to spend your time. Yeah, and uh, I, I feel like I need to make the distinction that one, I'm extremely lucky with the support system that I have. Like, right. you know, I it 
it, it's just by just sheer luck and circumstance that I have, um, like my wife, you know, she, for whatever reason, decided to be with me. And, you know, she was amazing throughout the entire time of her being my friend and then her eventually being my girlfriend up through fiance and being married and then having my brother, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a better sibling. It, right. And I, I, I imagine where I'd be without those people just by sheer luck, essentially of them being in my life. And I, I couldn't imagine pulling through without that. So I, I certainly sympathize with people who don't have that support system. Um, you know, and I, I do think that part of happiness and part of your mentality not the whole thing, but part of it does rely on some choice. I think we have control over a, a chunk at the very least. Right. You know, right. Um, there's a, there's a podcast that I listen to. Maybe you've heard of them. Um, the adventure zone with the McElroy brothers. Oh. Do you know them? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was an episode um, when they were doing, it was uh, one of their in between, it was after they were playing D and D and before they were playing their current arc of what they're doing now. And Justin McElroy, he had a quote in there that it, it really stuck with me when I first heard it. He was talking in character, but he said, the the antidote to despair is action. Mm. And while I don't know if that's 100% true in all cases, I think there's something very profound in that statement. And it stuck with me ever since then. And that's kind of a a real quick, dirty overview of how I like to view life when things start to suck essentially right you get up and uh and do something right so uh, yeah so i'm uh i'm i'm wondering what kind of what kind of hobbies did you have growing up then? oh sure yeah so um like when i was a kid i loved books um some of my favorite i mean when i was really young like goosebumps was huge i loved mm-hmm. that uh, did you ever read the Redwall series? Do you know what that is? No, I don't. Tell me about it. Yeah, so it was like it was it was awesome. It was like this uh, it was kind of like a medieval setting with like knights and castles and stuff, but it was all animals in like an English countryside. Oh, really? Like, yeah, like a lot of the main protagonists were mice, but then there was hares and badgers and squirrels, and then some of the like evil animals were foxes and rats and um, like lizards and frogs. And uh, the, the, those books were badass. They were sweet. That was kind of like my first dip into like the fantasy genre. And yeah. then I've always, I've always really, really liked uh, fantasy sci-fi. I also like Pokemon an awful lot. Pokemon yeah. and like uh, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh were, were pretty big when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 I, I feel that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> All that nostalgia <laughs> coming back. Oh, um, for sure. So, so that, that was largely your interest and, have you, mm-hmm. you you said that you still enjoy reading? Do you still, uh, I mean, and it's it's still mostly sci-fi sci-fi fantasy stuff. For the most part, yeah. Um, I've uh, when I was in college, I kind of discovered like quote unquote adult graphic novels. You know, like I, I read Watchmen when I was in college, and then right. I read Neil Sandman. Yeah, uh, like a lot of Alan Moore, uh, some Grant Morrison stuff like that. But then I kind of there's a few things that I've kind of gotten into, like I'm starting to get into horror a lot more. Yeah. Um, there's some uh, really good books by David Wong that I really like. Um, also, I've been reading, a, well, I should, I should say I've only really read one, but there's a Western 
called Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. I think you pronounce his name that way. Okay. And, and uh, that one is special to me because there was a four-part miniseries that came out, I think, on like HBO or something back in the 90s. And me and my family used to watch that all the time. That was like our, our show that we would watch. And I decided to read the book one day, and the book was amazing. This, this big old monster of a Western novel. But it was like so raw in what it means to like just being a human like doing the best you can out in like uh i'm gonna sound really ignorant saying this but cowboy times right in, in the frontier um it's so such a different departure from viewing a novel and how you tell a story with like magic systems and world building and what creatures need to be defeated and, and stuff like that but then just looking at it as just people doing what they can do to survive in the in the frontier times which was very fun to read Love that book. That's, yeah, that's kind of uh, stripping it, stripping humanity down to mm, the bare exactly. necessities, right? Exactly. It was very raw. It was very, just like, yeah, just like what you said, stripping it down to. There's no frill. There's no fun wizards casting spells. There's no like mice, anthropomorphic animals, embodying people. It was like no, the, the, these people just doing what they can to survive and they choose a path of quote unquote goodness or they choose a path of quote unquote evil and you just got to stick to it to get through. Right. Right. So what was that book called again? Lonesome Dove. Lonesome it's, it's, Dove. It's like a, yeah. It's a classic Western. I, I'm, I'm sure you can find if you Googled like top 10 Western novels, I'm sure Lonesome Dove will be in it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds good, man. You, you sell that well. Yeah, so, no, it, it's amazing. Then, um, then you talked about how how people in that uh, choose either good or evil. Mm -hmm. um, how how have you made made those choices in your life? Ooh, that's a that's a profound one. Yeah, feel free <laughs> to take your time on that one. Sure. <laughs> Um, I mean, I do think about these things sometimes when I, when I, uh, you know, have the time and I'm just kind of reeling around in the, in the old noggin. I, I think about these things an awful lot, um, through like the lens of, um, like, for example, I know I'm kind of all over the place here, but I listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously, I think me and you probably both do. Yeah. And one of them that I listen to an awful lot is called Last Podcast on the Left. They're great. They do a lot of like true crime and some like paranormal stuff here and there, but they talk a lot about cults and things like a lesser known history and things like that. And I think of um, like cult mentality and I think of people who are drawn to being like cult leaders or people, uh, you know, kind of on like the serial killer realm or uh obviously those are extreme examples and those are people who um, you don't see every day. And they're kind of like the classic example of like a, a quote unquote evil person. Mm -hmm. But then from what I can tell, and again, I'm not like a, a scholar of this by any means, but you see a lot of those same tendencies in people who run larger organizations, whether that be like a business or like a religion or, or what have you. And I, I feel like, at least in modern days today, it's not as simple as like an outlaw or a bandit back in the frontier times, but it's 
someone, you know, uh, in charge of some sort of organization that's signing a piece of paper to screw over people who don't have power or people who are uh, trying to keep a system in place to, you know, make sure that them and their folk have uh, control the power like they have for a long time and have no problem in, in screwing over people who have always never had the power. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking in pretty broad terms and it's, it's nothing new that anybody's ever heard. I'm sure this is all, you know, your, your basic stuff here, but um, to me being good nine times out of 10 is the tougher thing to do than doing the bad thing. It's probably, right. in my opinion, easier to be bad and it's tougher to be good because being good takes more work. It's a lot more subjective. You have to consider all parties involved. You have to be, you know, consider altruism. You have to try to find the best for everybody involved where, you know, if you want to be straight up greedy, that's pretty easy because you're only ever looking out for yourself. Right. And uh, yeah. So like in terms of trying to choose good back to circling back to what you were talking about, choosing good over choosing quote unquote evil. A good place to start is probably the tough thing to do. You know, mm -hmm. that might not always, that's kind of a general rule of thumb in my opinion, but if you want to do the right thing, it's probably going to be the difficult thing. Right. And so have there been any times that you can think of where you made the tough choice and, uh, and it paid off? Yeah. Um, uh, this is the one that I, if I, if I'm going through the Rolodex of my like good deeds, this one kind of stands out to me, but yeah. Um, so for a while after I was done with school, I, when we, I finally moved back to Dubuque, um, I worked as a social worker here in town and a, like a case manager. I worked with people who were on Medicaid. Uh, so typically they had some sort of mental illness. This is a, the mental illness set of Medicaid, right? Cause okay. there's a bunch of different assets to Medicaid. There's uh, just people who are disabled. There are people who are elderly. And then um, the population that I worked with was people who experienced mental health issues and were also in poverty. So it was the people who um, lived in town in Dubuque that were definitely less fortunate than me. And mm -hmm. there was a uh, there was a gentleman who was on my caseload. I was trying to reach out to him for a number of months. I had inherited him from one of the uh, other Sorry, I don't know if you can hear that, but my dog is kind of whining a little bit. No, but that's she's, okay. She's fine. Um, but there was a this client. I've inherited him from a another caseworker who, you know, you can imagine there's high turnover in that sort of sort of work. Yeah. Uh, she left. I got this client. I was trying to reach out to him. I couldn't get a hold of him forever. I was going to give up on him, and I was going to be like, maybe he's out of town. Maybe his phone isn't working anymore. I don't know. And I called him one last time, and it turns out I got him. And when he was on the phone, I could tell that he was incredibly drunk. Like, there was no doubt about it. Uh, believe it or not, I got pretty good at telling when people are drunk. Just a, yeah. a skill that I developed. And um, I, I got a hold of him, and I'm like, I'm talking to this guy, and he sounds pretty rough. He, it's like a Tuesday at like 10 a.m., and I'm like, this guy's in a, in rough shape. So I, the few words that I got out of him, like his were his location. So I'm like, hey, is it okay if I like get the police to come and check on you? And he like, agreed to it after a, you know, being on the phone for a really long time. Uh, eventually, the police called me back saying like, hey, we can't find this guy. I don't know where he is. 
So I end up calling him back again and he answers the phone. He says that he's in like a, a Hy-Vee parking lot. So I meet him. I, I go down there. I meet him in the Hy-Vee and I get talking to him and he's, you know, incredibly inebriated. And he's talking about how, you know, he's living in his car. He's got nothing going for him. His family has nothing to do with him and he's out. He's ready to go. He's ready to die. <laughs> JC, settle down, girl. You're okay. You're okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, he was he he was he was right on the on the door to uh to suicide. It was you know he had to be pretty blind to not tell that. And, right. Uh, so I I convinced him after a very long time, um, <laughs> staying late on a on a Friday, believe it or not. I I feel like I'm tooting my own horn here, but JC, settle down. It's okay, baby. Um, but no, I, I stayed there and I talked to him and I eventually I con- convinced him to allowing me to driving him to the hospital and I, I got him into the psych ward. I visited him every week and then we, um, uh, yeah, I got him into a, uh, like a long-term or a short-term care facility. Uh, he sobered up and it actually turned out that he had a decent amount of blood clots in his, in his lung and in his body. They got, Ooh. they got him fixed up. Yeah, no, he was, he was in rough shape Yeah, and, uh, we got him into a facility and then eventually last time I heard he went back across state to Wisconsin and I think he has a job. I mean, this is a number of years ago, so I, God knows where he is now. Hopefully he's doing good, but yeah, that, yeah. I mean, and again, not, not like trying to to my own horn or whatever, cause I was literally being paid to do that job. Not, not much, but um, yeah, no, I, I, of, of the few things that I can say I did a good job of, I can pretty safely say that I, stopped him from killing himself and i yeah yeah i am proud of that well and you i mean you ought to be uh, you're you're clearly a very caring person given uh <laughs> how much how much respect and love you have for your relationships i mean i can hear the way you talk to your dog you know <laughs> uh and and i think that's admirable oh thank you man and, appreciate it. yeah and so you know, choosing choosing to go into that career path, and and definitely be dealing with these more difficult situations. Um, how how has that changed you as a person? Oh, sure. Um, like so, for example, before I started working in that field, which I'm I'm not in there anymore. Um, I I was working in that for about three and a half years. I, I really did love it. It's just that it, you know, I, it, it didn't pay much. And I, I had to think of me and my wife and I'm still kind of have a, a toe dipped into that where I uh, have some like human services stuff. But anyway, when I first got into it, I, um, I had no idea that there was any homeless people here in Dubuque mm-hmm. at all. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that that was even a thing. I thought that was like in a, in the movies or out in New York or LA. Right. And I had no idea that there was a lot of people here in town that are homeless and staying in the shelters and waiting in line for free meals at the churches. And, um, it really opened my eyes to show me that there's a lot of people that for, you know, whatever reason, they have it a lot worse than me. And, uh, once I got to see that it was, it put a lot of things into perspective, you know, um, seeing where I, I was raised in a, you know, ultimately a pretty fine, uh, situation you know there was never a time that we really wanted for money uh you know um 
you know, another thing that I kind of see a lot, again, kind of touching back with what I, I think of with good and evil and, and like white collar crimes and stuff. I, I see these people constantly being screwed over, over and over again. And, you know, there's certain things that they can help in terms of taking care of themselves and not self-medicating and blah, blah, blah. But uh, there's a lot of times when uh, the services that are there are supposed to be in place just end up totally screwing these people over. And they, uh, I, I see them just, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, um, uh, not stereotyped, but like they're, um, the, the system is against them. You know, right. it's, it, like, no matter what they do, no matter how hard you try, they're screwed if you do or screwed if you don't. Right. Uh, and it's, and uh, yeah, no way. When you, uh, it really kind of opened my eyes to showing me the real world. Um, not only in that negative way, I, I feel like I'm kind of hitting on the, on the cynical stuff where everything's nihilistic and gloom and doom. And, and if you're unfortunate enough to not be someone who's empowered, then you're ultimately kind of boned. But it also showed me a lot of really awesome things. It showed me a lot of awesome humanity. Like when people are at their lowest, they can still do beautiful, amazing um, acts of kindness and just like acts of love. Uh, there's people in that situation that would care for one another and they would, you know, even despite their situation, they would treat me with kindness. And I mean, there's plenty of people who didn't treat me with kindness. Don't get me wrong, but uh, there was some of the most amazing kind-hearted people I've ever met were clients that I served and it was great. And I, I remember their stories that they tell me and, you know, they'd invite me into their home, no matter how small it was. And they would always, you know, some of them, the, the good ones, <laughs> not the good ones, but you know what I mean? The, the yeah. ones that were more, uh, there's a lot of hospitality in there too. So I right. saw a lot of good things and a lot of bad things right. through that job. Uh, I, I, actually, mean, I actually started a, uh, I started a D and D club with my, with a lot of my clients too. And that was fun. really, yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I somehow convinced my boss to let me do that. I mean, I, I think there's something to be said about the therapeutic benefits of role-playing games. And there was a lot of people who are interested in it. And, um, we started it, I think I had like, uh, eight or so clients at any given point come into play. And then I would, I would DM for them. And, you know, it was just kind of an excuse for them to have a sense of community and come in and, you know, roll dice for three, four hours a week or a month. It was a monthly thing. It was very fun. I enjoyed that's, it. That's awesome. That, yeah. I mean, that's such that a great idea. Me. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, they, they liked it a lot. I think. Yeah. So, so then, I mean, jumping off of that, um, you're, you're obviously very into role-playing games. Have you always been into D and D? Uh, that was something that I got into actually after college, which I feel like is something you'd probably get more into like in college or like, you know, when you were a kid, then maybe you, you kind of get out of it, then you hop back into it. I always wanted to, um, I think I mentioned before, I was really into like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. I loved trading card games for a long time. Right. Um, I got into Magic the Gathering when I was in college. But like all that time, I really wanted to start a D&D campaign. I knew that I was like right up my alley. Thought it'd be sweet. Me and my buddies, we tried playing, I forget what RPG it was, but it was like a superhero one. It lasted like two sessions. Things just kind of got in the way. We made D&D characters and then it fell through, you know, the typical story of failed campaigns. Right. And... I didn't start getting into it until about when I moved back to Dubuque, about the time when I was starting to work at the 
agency that I was uh, doing social work. Mm-hmm. And then me and one of my old high school buddies who was still around, um, he's actually in the show in The Rules Lawyers. We started playing at a local comic store and okay. we started playing Adventurers League, which is the the organized adventure, uh, it, it organized play stuff that Wizards of the Coast puts out for like uh, comic stores and conventions and stuff like that. Right. And that's how I met all the people on the show that I do. And um, we've been really good friends ever since. That's awesome. That's great. So then, uh, and you said uh, you started the show about two years ago, right? Yep. That's right. And has it been one continuous campaign that whole time? Yeah, it has. Um, wow. Our, our, yeah. Our original idea was that we were going to play through season one of Adventures League. <laughs> JC, you're okay. She just wants attention. Hmm. Um, Who doesn't? I know, right? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm petting you, but that's not enough, is it? Um, she, and she's named after my character in the show, by the way. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, we were going to play through season one. So it would have been through levels like one through 15 or so. And we end up getting to like level eight and we're just, it's taken so long. Um, it's, it's difficult to find time to record, even though we're doing it consistently, we're only recording like maybe once a month right. and we're going to be wrapping up our, this run with the characters here pretty soon. Actually, I think this coming weekend is going to be our last recording with those characters. Oh, wow. And then we're going to start running. Um, we're going to start doing Tales from the Yawning Portal. If you're familiar with that book, it's no. a yeah, no, it's a it's like a it was a recent book that came out from Wizards. It's like seven adventures that were all classic, um, popular D and D adventures. And then each module is going to be run by a different DM in the show. And that's kind of the idea. But oh, cool. That, that'll be like our season two, if you can call like two years of what we already have as a as a first season. But right, that's the general idea. Man. That's crazy. I mean, I've I've been doing this podcast for a year, you know, and uh, and and I I love it. Of course, I I don't I've never met anyone who's done podcasting who hasn't loved it. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, two years. Wow. And and how big is your group? Oh boy. Yeah. So I mean, we actually just added ivy not too long ago she's been playing with us in comic world for a while but originally it was me hua dylan kyle matthew paul and andy so seven and then with ivy it's going to be eight um, wow makes it makes it difficult to record but uh yeah <laughs> i mean I, I i when i first started the show i wanted it to be like if you're hanging out with us playing a game of D, and that's exactly like what it is with our crew um right it's just kind of how like we we bounce our humor off each other, tell jokes. Uh, you know, you I, I want to just well and have Jason. a fun time, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I wanted to seem like you're hanging out with us a comic world, playing a game, right? Um, cracking jokes, rolling dice, getting nerdy, having a good time. That's awesome. Yeah, I I I mean I I've loved D and D ever since I started playing it. It's just that group storytelling, right? That's yeah. just a ton of fun. I would love to have, like, have a, you know, maybe interview you for a and d episode for my show. And that'd be very fun. Oh, yeah. 110%. We're going to have to do that. For sure. So, so kind of wrapping it up here, um, before we go on to the next podcasting project <laughs> that we're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you're, you're a young guy. So where, where do you see yourself? At the age of 80. Oh, oh boy. Uh, oh, man, like 50 years from now. Oh, boy, that is so hard to even, like, conceptualize. 
mm-hmm. 80 years old, um, I would, I would absolutely love to, That's that's a tall order. I mean, like, if I could have my friends and family around me, I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to give you the, the cheesy stereotypical answer, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would love to kind of grow my career of what I'm doing. I'd like to stay at the law firm that I'm working with. Um, I love my house that I bought here. We've only had it since October, but I'd be cool with maybe going to a different house at some point. I, I like Iowa a lot, believe it or not. There's a lot of people who ask, who say to me like, oh man, Iowa, huh? That's <laughs> must be fun. And I mean, I, I like Iowa. I really like Eastern Iowa. I think it's a gorgeous place to live. Um, I think it's a decent part of the country. I like that I know the town and that it's small enough that I can feel comfortable doing my own thing, but big enough to kind of keep me occupied. Um, right. I wouldn't mind staying around, uh, you know, and, I'd love to have some grandkids probably, but I, you know, and I think about this a lot with like our generation of people becoming like grandparents and, and older folks. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's gonna be really cool when like all the grandparents start having like tattoos and we're all into, we're still into video games. And, JC, girl, it's okay. I'll have to take her out between, uh, between, uh, projects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it'd be cool like if we're grandparents and we all like are still into video games and podcasts and uh like, you know, we're all talking about ultimate frisbee and <laughs> kind of all that like stereotypical millennial stuff that right. ends up being, like a, an old folks thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I just picture us all playing ultimate frisbee and Xbox mm-hmm. at the old folks home. Exactly. We're all we're all playing uh Smash Bros and uh <laughs> Yeah. Vaping and playing with our fidget spinners, as we I all look, do. I look forward to it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think you you've had a a perspective gaining life, which I I like to think that's what life is about. Uh, that you go through it and you gain perspective, and and you can look back on your experiences and appreciate what you've learned from them, and appreciate the people who have helped you through them. And I think. I think you've got a lot of that uh, in your story, and uh, so so thank you for sharing that with us today, oh, yeah. and uh, thank thanks for being on my wax museum. Yeah, thank you for letting me uh, letting me talk. I really appreciate it, and I had a had a great time. And thanks to you for taking the time to listen to this episode of my wax museum, but more importantly, for taking the five minutes out of your day today to listen to someone around you, just as Luke talked about gaining perspective through interacting with these other people around him, trying to understand them and their lives. You can do the same thing with the people around you. It can be anyone, your mother, your sister, your friend, your cousin, even the stranger who just kind of looks like they might need to talk. You can listen. We can all take that time to listen. And of course, thanks to Tanner Larson, one of my roommates who made the music for My Wax Museum. And to Swoot for being a fantastic podcast listening app. It's what I use to listen for podcasts. They're not paying for this plug. They didn't even ask for this plug. I just found it. They just launched. And seriously, they're fantastic. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for going out there and trying to gain a little bit more perspective. I guarantee 
when you listen. It makes the world a better place. We're just going to keep talking until I find 15 seconds of pure gold. <laughs> just try not to cuss. Luke, this feels... Well, he, there it is. He said it. We should probably say that we're the rules lawyers at some point, too, right? You are passing through a what lane of talk. I'll start again. <laughs> Do you have your character sheet going? <laughs> what? Do you not? Uh, love loving. But, but, okay, but, but my question, though. Do you have your character sheet? Oh. Where, is, where is it? At home. I forgot that it was not in my book. Halfway here. He's not doing a Guy Fieri presentation. He's trying to make a coke donkey <laughs> Wait for the commotion to escape. Huh? What's her? Who said that? Bill? No, it wasn't me. It's Bill Nye. <laughs> Bill Nye, was it you? It wasn't me. It's my Bill Nye voice. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here comes the aneurysm. I think I got 15 seconds in there.